You're listening to Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 15-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law, employers and HR professionals would often ask me, where can they find out a little more information on this or a little more information on that? Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people have only 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to employers. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Not meant to provide legal advice and doesn't create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Welcome back to the Legal Skinny Podcast. Let's talk OSHA retaliation worries. So OSHA published guidance on January 29th, 2021, and we knew that this was in the pipeline. Uh, they, they named it Protecting Workers Guidance on Mitigating and Preventing the Spread of COVID-19 in the Workplace. So there's a lot of stuff in there, and I'm just going to talk about a slice. I probably will visit some of these other issues in later podcasts, but just as an overview of what, what exactly the guidance says it is about... It says OSHA describes this basically as both advisory in nature, informational in content, and intended to assist employers in providing a safe and healthy workplace. Now, OSHA also states that these, you know, recommendations contain descriptions of mandatory safety and health standards, and they reserve the right, of course, to update this, you know, whenever they see fit, whether, you know, the health guidance changes or the laws change, so. You know, you got to love that because it's always like catch all. Hey, we may change this at any moment. So uh, don't get too comfortable, but you need to know what, what we're saying today. So with that, you know, further OSHA goes on and states, you know, even later in the guidance, hey, remember all these CFRs or, or regulations, federal regulations. And remember that, you know, even though there is no OSHA standard spe- specific to COVID-19, employers still are required under the general duty clause, you know, section 5A1 of the OSHA Act to provide a safe and healthful workplace that's free from recognized hazards that can cause serious physical harm or death. So, you know, I'm going to talk about, again, one little slice right now, but there's quite a bit of like reference and guidance in references in here in the guidance to pieces of the OSHA Act that they're actually trying to say, okay, don't forget about this. Don't forget about that. And it's all kind of mixed in. So if you're reading through it and you're welcome to check out the legalskinny.com um, website, cause I have a blog on it where I link back to it, but this, it does sort of like um, give you the impression that some of this is guidance and some of this is law. I think if you take a step back and really understand if you read enough of this stuff from OSHA in the end of the day, if they investigate you, they have standards of what they expect employers to do. And while you know, you may not be required to do some of these things. I certainly think they're setting a precedent of what they would like to see employers do to make a safe workplace. And so, 
you know, take it with a grain of salt in that way. Uh, some of this, of course, is always going to be falling back under again, their general duty clause. So, and that's why I think they cited to that again, you know, in general, employers are responsible to have a safe and healthful workplace. So free from recognized hazards uh, that can cause physical harm or death. And obviously they're recognizing, you know, someone getting sick from COVID-19 as being some type of recognized hazard, right? So let's jump over to what I want to talk about today. It's number 13 on OSHA's list of, of the, about 11 pages of guidance. And, and it's entitled Implementing Protections from Retaliation and Setting Up an Anonymous Process for Workers to Voice Concerns about COVID-19 Related Hazards. So Section 11C of the OSHA Act prohibits dis discharging or in any other way discriminating against an employee for engaging in various occupational safety and health activities. Ding, 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 folks. <laughs> the anti-retaliation piece is not advisory, right? I just cited to what OSHA cites to as, you know, Section 11C of the OSHA Act. So, so the guidance is kind of mixed in here with that piece of law. Of course, you know, the anti-retaliation piece has been around a, a, a while, long time here. Um, and it is something that, you know, hopefully you were aware of that if someone complains of an unsafe work practice, um, that you shouldn't retaliate against them. So, but um, now, you know, it's clear that they're kind of bringing that into the realm to make sure that it's clear for employers, a lot of employers, right, um, that they're trying to educate that they need to be careful about this when it comes to COVID. But, you know, just in case you didn't get it from that little piece that I read, uh, they they lay it right out there for us. They say, look, let's give you an example um, and, and list what, what we think, you know, needs to make sure that employers follow in order to avoid this sort of anti-retaliation piece. Employers may not discriminate against employees for raising a reasonable concern about infection control related COVID-19 to the employer. And then can, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, we shouldn't discriminate against em employees bringing that up to the employer. And then they go further. You shouldn't discriminate against employees raising a reasonable concern about infection control related to COVID-19 to the employer, uh, to the employer's agent, other employees, a government agency, or to the public such as through any sort of commentary by the employees and print, online, social, or any other media, or against an employee for voluntarily providing and wearing their own personal protective equipment, such as a respirator, face shield, gloves, or surgical mask. So retaliation is tricky because it pops up very easily when you treat someone differently, even if you weren't doing it because of the protected reason. So for instance, they just gave this example of, you know, an employee that voluntarily brings in their own PPE or, you know, say they decide that they want to wear a face shield. None of the employees are, are wearing face shields and that employee sort of gets targeted, made fun of in some sort of way. Is that employee being treated differently? Is there an adverse effect? Is someone in management treating them differently? You know, are they being protected? You know, I think it's interesting that OSHA brings that up into the forefront that, you know, employees should be able to bring in their own PPE. They usually don't provide guidance on something unless it is the concern that they maybe are seeing. So uh, keep that in mind. And I think that's certainly uh, interesting if you're if you're offering 
or the employees are wearing different kinds of PPE, especially if you have different workforce individuals. So if you have some workers that are working in this environment and some workers that are working in a different environment, they may be wearing different types of protection because maybe, you know, workers in group A can socially distance easier. So they may not be wearing as much items, whereas uh, workers um, in B may be wearing different type of PPE. And are they being treated differently by anybody? And is there any sort of retaliation or, you know, what could be perceived as retaliation going on. And those are the kinds of things that are out there. They're floating out there, like in the world of, of potential liability exposure for, for you as an employer. Uh, and how do you avoid that, protect the company and, and make sure that, you know, you are treating employees in an anti-retaliation manner so that you don't get in trouble under OSHA. And certainly under this new guidance, being a little careful about that. In addition to notifying workers of their rights to a safe and healthful work environment, OSHA also states, you know, that the employer should ensure that workers know whom to contact with questions or concerns about workplace safety and health. Now, I've been talking about this, you know, for a while, certainly, you know, since March or April, when I when I started having these conversations um, with employers that you know, it is important that the employees do know who to contact. I um, I think it can be a little confusing that employees are, are complaining about, you know, what they think may not be safe or what they would feel more comfortable with safe and, and you know, uh, how that is all being transmitted and who's getting that information and who are the people that are getting that information trained to know what to do with that information. So I think that's, that's been an ongoing conversation here, certainly, especially with employers that weren't really dealing with unsafe, you know, type work practices, because that wasn't OSHA and other guidelines weren't something that was something they were regularly running into. Uh, whereas now almost every employer, you know, is is needing to pay attention to this. And so uh, certainly knowing who to whom to contact, right? And then that there are prohibitions against retaliation. So do you have a policy against retaliation for raising workplace safety and health concerns? That's exactly what OSHA says here, you know, or engaging in any other protected, you know, occupational safety and health activities. And so they're looking for that, which means they'll look for that if they investigated someone, um, uh, an employer after they were, you know, complained of by an employee. Also consider using a hotline or other method for workers to voice concerns anonymously. That's what that's what OSHA says. So <laughs> then they kind of just move on <laughs> and they, they talk a little bit about training just in a brief little sort of, you know, parentheses, but and they just kind of move on from that guidance to the employer. I think you're you know, there there's a big missing piece there um, that you should be thinking about is that you know, my thought is, you know, what happens when you set up your fancy, you know, hotline or anonymous, you know, way for an employee to report, you know, who's monitoring that? And what is the action plan? See, once you get the report of an unsafe work practice, you know, in some ways, that clock is ticking. You need to have a clear plan of what exactly is going to occur when the work practice is reported. So setting up the fancy anonymous hotline or whatever for people to report is great. But if you don't have a plan in place, you know, that could be your downfall. So say John, all right, anonymously reports that the warehouse workers 
you know, in the back section of, of, of whatever and of company um, A are not wearing masks and social distancing when unloading a new product, right? So he anonymously reports this. What's your plan to investigate that? See, OSHA throws out there the anonymous reporting, and it's even in the title of what I told you, this number 13 is setting up an anonymous process for workers to voice concerns related to COVID-19 hazards. But what's your plan when that anonymous report comes in? And is it good enough? Have you have you investigated and trained individuals um, to make sure that it's going to work? Because when the clock starts ticking and people start making you know, decisions of what's going to happen next after you get the report, that's where you're kind of living in that space of the retaliation, right? And that's the kind of interesting part that can be missed and mistakes can be made. And now I'm going to tell you, <laughs> usually when there's an anonymous report in any investigation of an employment law or, or HR realm that I've ever been involved with, there's sort of this like obsession to like figure out like who reported this anonymous thing. And, and I think, I think that that's human nature. I think it's natural, you know, to want to know or try to, you know, um, detective your way through Sherlock Holmes, if you will, into determining who this anonymous person is so you can decide the best strategy or, or figure out how to fix the problem or just know because, you know, that makes you feel a little better, right? But I think you really have to think about how an investigation with a person who's come forward that you can question and, you know, kind of um, understand what, what their concerns are is different than an anonymous report, okay? So, you know, while your first instinct is to figure out who the person reporting is, guess what? Good that really does you. It doesn't. It usually wastes time. It can also be upsetting and frustrating, you know, when you can't figure it out or you think you know who it is and you're frustrated that that person reported that. Also, um, you know, does that lead to a potential retaliation case? Because, you know, what are you going to do once you figure out who it is? Now, while I said I think it's human nature to try to ask that question, and I certainly don't, <laughs> I'm not, I don't think we should fight the human nature of it all. But I think what you really need to be thinking is, um, first off, uh, how am I going to investigate something from an anonymous report? Because it is different than when you know who the person is that that's reporting something. And then, and when you have an anonymous report, sometimes it can be difficult to try to figure out how to investigate it. So do you have video? Uh, do you, do you, do you provide any in the suggestion of where you advertise where the, the hotline is or the other information, you know, directing the anonymous reporting to maybe hopefully get them to provide you a little more detail so that you can try to properly investigate and determine whether or not there is some type of unsafe work practice. And so I think, you know, your time is probably best spent really exploring how can you prove to OSHA if they investigated you on this anonymous complaint that you took that complaint seriously, you looked into the nature of the alleged unsafe work practice that may have occurred, and that, you, you know, if you did determine that there were some issues there that you took um, steps to try to, to fix it. So think this one through because I do not think you'd be throwing this all together after the report comes in. I think you should plan and train those who will be involved so they know the plan. And that's the legal skinny on OSHA retaliation worries.
thanks for joining us on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to get future podcast episodes. Also check out LegalSkinny.com to join our newsletter and get details on all the educational resources we offer the employer. Also, disclaimer, remember Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.